0: Hello, hello, this is Dr. Jason Lee, clinical immunologist and analogist in Toronto, Ontario. And this season I have Bree, bree Brianne Hurdle, to be precise, back. And she's going to be the co-host to kind of help direct me in my conversation so it's not a all one-sided monologue. Hello, Bree.
1: Hi, Jason, how are you?
0: Good, good. And this season is sponsored by Sanofi Canada. And, you know, we're going to really focus on The concept we introduced last season called type 2 inflammation and the very first episode this season we're going to start off talking about atopic dermatitis and this is a form of eczema and it's sort of the first or prototypical type 2 inflammatory condition that people often experience in their life. Uh, Sometimes it follows a sequence otherwise uh, it doesn't but a lot of people do follow this sort of atopic march as they call it and atopic dermatitis is really the first step <clears throat> so um brie uh, what do you think of what comes to your mind when you think about eczema
1: well being that i have it <laughs> but i didn't get it until i was an <clears throat> adult my sister now has it and my daughter has it i'm all about learning about atopic dermatitis so i've got some good questions for you okay,
0: okay. great and yeah and i do want to uh, emphasize this can happen at any age And it doesn't always follow the sequence that I just talked about. So some people get it, you know, um, much later, like after the age of 50, 60. Other people get it in their teenage years. Some people get it in adulthood. And sometimes people, uh, you know, confuse things like other forms of dermatitis like contact dermatitis uh, for eczema or atopic dermatitis. So uh, a little bit different, but similar kind of manifestation. So when I refer to atopic dermatitis, Um, You know, it usually follows a pattern depending on the age of the patient. So, you know, infants will have it on the outside of their, um, you know, arms, so the outside part of their elbow. Uh, But as people get older and they're able to scratch, it's more in the flexural creases, so the inside of the elbow and behind their knees. Um, You know, other places that people get it commonly are on their face and their hands. Um, You know, on the face, people get it because it's a little bit thinner, the skin in certain areas, especially around the eyes around the lips and mouth uh, you're more exposed to stuff and on the hands <clears throat> you know hand drawing hand sanitizing especially with covid and now monkeypox. pox uh, but you know <laughs> all the different soaps and stuff you put on your hands different gloves you may be more prone to areas of you know eczema but also the contact the chemical irritation from these things as well
1: mm-hmm. so yeah contact dermatitis versus atopic so what causes atopic versus say contact? I mean, contact is pretty obvious with chemicals or wool or clothing or what have you, but what's the difference? Like what causes atopic dermatitis?
0: Great question. So atopic dermatitis predisposes you as a risk factor for contact dermatitis, just to make it more confusing because the barrier is oh, not, no. so, <clears throat> yeah, it's not so tight. Um, so atopic dermatitis, it's a combination of a gene and environmental interaction, and there's some epigenetics in this as well. So In the skin, when you look, imagine the barrier at a microscopic level. I'm, you know, motioning with my hands on video here. But uh, if you imagine looking at your skin with a microscope, um, the cells of the skin, you have bricks and you've got mortar. And Mm -hmm. when the mortar is weakened, things can come in easier, but you're also Mm -hmm. losing moisture easier. And when the mortar is kind of porous and open, imagine a house, little bugs can get in. Mm -hmm. The same thing kind of happens at the microscopic level. Little bits of bacteria, little bits of fungus that live in your skin. If they can really get a foothold, different kind of things start growing. So these trigger different inflammatory responses in your body. Underneath that barrier uh, of the house or that brick wall, you've got sort of the uh, immune system. The surveillance is looking at everything coming in, scrutinizing everything. And if it picks up something like one of these bacteria or funguses, and it elicits some kind of immune reaction, it's going to really try to repair that wall. <clears throat> and in the process of repairing, if your immune system is dysregulated, it starts off this thing called the itch scratch lichenification cycle, which means really that you get itchy because <clears throat> your immune system says, hey, wait a minute, there's something coming through this wall. You've got to itch and find out what it is. Okay, so it causes the itch. And of course, when you itch, you're causing microabrasions in your skin. And you're introducing all that bacteria under your nails. There's lots of crazy bacteria under your nails. Mm-hmm. You that further exposing the immune system. Okay, so that's the itch. And then you scratch. And then the lichenification is the repair. So in an effort to repair this mortar, it's just kind of like, if you imagine like a sloppy sort of tradesman just slopping on some of the goop and the mortar onto the wall, and it's not really sticking into the right place. So you get kind of this, you know, uneven skin, it's dry and flaky at parts, it gets thickened at certain parts. So it's kind of a very abnormal repair mechanism. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is really <clears throat> the essence of type two inflammation. It's an abnormally activated and a dysregulated repair mechanism. Uh, and in this case, in the skin, it's for the, you know, the skin.
1: So that you're, when you're talking about the mortar, you're talking about the lack of moisture barrier, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. So there's different barriers, uh, things that go in. So we've got things like called uh, ceramides. Uh, that's mm-hmm. sort of the glue that glues uh, all the cells together. Uh, and you've got the cells themselves. And not everyone's cells grow <clears throat> grows the same pattern. So you've got some people who've stacked their brakes nicely, one on top of each other. These are people who never get any acne and you know, have like perfect skin. You've got other people where the skin kind of grows like this. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm motioning uh, sort of a hand motion of a of a pyramid like kind of uneven building of the bricks, so you know they are more prone to getting you know pores that are obstructed. They're more prone to getting skin infections, things like, like this. Other people, <clears throat> there's a little uh, protease uh, called SPINK. Uh, this is a little enzyme that determines some of the uh, you know repair and kind of fitting everything together that's a little bit faulty or not functioning right. So people have different genetic reasons for not having a great uh, barrier. Um, But all in all, you know, if the barrier is not super tight and super nicely packed, you're kind of prone to these breaches and you're prone to sort of some of the other complications. So, yeah, you've been been hearing about monkeypox a lot lately and how sometimes, uh, you know, people with uh, eczema you can't get the live vaccines and stuff and people with eczema are in general are much more prone to getting skin infections uh so viruses bacteria things like this I and mean, it's because of the fact that they have a weakened uh barrier in their skin
1: right interesting because it doesn't it's not good about keeping like pathogens and microbes and stuff out which makes mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. um okay okay so uh what like, are there different types of atopic dermatitis? Like we talked, I know there's a contact <clears throat> dermatitis, but I mean, if I look at myself, I don't ever get it in the creases and the folds of my skin. I know in children, it's more common with that. I get it on my legs, just my lower trunks of my legs. And recently I had a patch on my elbow, but on the outside when I was really stressed. Okay. So I don't get it in the folds of my skin. It shows up in different places.
0: So I love this question because it brings up the concept. So, so atopic dermatitis is a, is a form of uh, eczema, uh, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. and you've got you know, different forms of eczema and atopic dermatitis is just one of them. So you've got other types of uh, you know, dermatitis. So you, some people have something called nummular dermatitis where you get like these kind of coin-like lesions appearing in different parts of their body. And it's kind of strange, this pattern, because it really does look like a coin-based pattern. It, it's, it seems sometimes random. Um, other people get the uh, contact, as I mentioned, and other uh, and, you know there's there's different, very many different variations of eczema. But what all of them boils down to is an abnormal immune response and an abnormal barrier uh, okay. that responds to the abnormality and the, and the barrier defect. So whatever type of eczema you have, you know, eczema is dermatitis, um, mm-hmm. they can present similarly or look differently, but the fundamental process is all the same.
1: It's all the same thing. Okay. And is it more common in men or in, in women? It's like Does gender have anything to do with it, with hormones?
0: Yeah, it's a very qua- interesting question. It depends on the age you're asking about. So, uh, you know, in boys, infant boys tend to have it a little bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. But when you look at different ages, and it depends also on the geographic region too, it, which is interesting, just like food allergies. Um, when you look at postmenopausal women, they're more likely to get it as well. But then when you look at really elderly uh, you know I, don't, I hope I'm not offending anyone but by really elderly I mean over the age of 80 uh, men mm-hmm. tend to have it more too and it's because you know a lot of men have gone their whole lives never moisturizing their skin either uh, so wow. they're just those habits are not in place to kind of try to protect against the, the loss of uh, barrier the one yeah. thing that happens to yeah uh, and, and everyone notices too like as you each year you get older your skin loses that you know that tight barrier so Every year, your skin gets a little bit drier, it becomes harder and harder to retain moisture. Uh, Mm -hmm. Amongst other things, like the elasticity kind of goes down. Yes, collagen,
1: yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so, um, you know, a lot of changes can occur over time. But depending on the age, the sort of the frequency and the gender balance kind of goes either way. Um, I think in overall, if you're looking at all ages, it tends to be a little bit more common in women. But again, it's a pretty even split.
1: Mm-hmm. well my sister got it due to pregnancy so she's on methyltrexate met- is that what it's called okay
0: yeah that's right okay so that's great um <clears throat> well it's not great that she's on methotrexate <laughs> sorry sometimes oh, no, understand yeah. this stuff oh, no. it, it sounds ridiculous yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um but yeah methotrexate is is a medication we call a uh, systemic medication so typically when people you know fail the topical therapies and we always start with you know just Uh, run-of-the-mill good moisturizers we call non-pharmacologic therapy Uh, you know good uh, skin hygiene using stuff that doesn't dehydrate your skin so you want to avoid things like soap for example anything that saps moisture or breaks down that uh, barrier so you don't want to take too hot showers because that also affects the barrier or too long of a shower Um, you know ideally uh, what I advise my patients is actually if you can take baths instead and you know and kind of like lukewarm maybe 10 minutes kind of at a time. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you wanna avoid anything that's harsh, even including your shampoos that will run down your skin and your your face, especially. Uh, You wanna avoid chemicals. Uh, And this includes even like things like hair dye that can aggravate or inflame the skin. Um, And once you've sort of maximized these non-pharmacologic or non-drug treatments, Mm -hmm. then we go on to, you know, uh, good, you know, maybe prescription moisturizers, most doctors i think in canada and the u.s and and most of the world will kind of go up on the on the steroid topical steroid uh approach where we start with a low potency medium and high depending on the area of the body Mm -hmm. um there's there's been a bit of a shift lately to use non-steroidal treatments that are topical so we've got a couple of them now so yeah so funguses uh you know, some, some guy working in a lab noticed that uh, a fungal sort of thing called tacrolimus could be used to suppress T-cell activity, and that was turned into an, an ointment, and it works quite well. So there's two. There's, you know, uh, something called protopic. There's tacrolimus and prolacolimus, and they all are from originally derived from this fungal thing, and they are able to suppress the activation of some of these T-cell sort of machinery. So when, when, you know, for those that don't know, T-cells kind of regulate and activate and are very integral to this dysregulated infl- inflammatory process. If you shut that down, at least in the skin, you can kind of shut off this, you know, itch, scratch, like, canification cycle and just kind of, you know, prevent it from this abnormal regulation. Yeah. So, you know, I I love using uh, these kind of...
1: Yeah,
0: yeah for sure. I, I like using these as a new... Uh, other newer agent um, available in Canada, it's more of like a mild, moderate uh, steroid equivalent, uh, uh, you know, ointment It's called Eucrisa. Uh, so this works on a different pathway, um, or the, I guess I should use the, uh, you know, non-trade name. Uh, it's called Crisobol, uh which <clears throat> sort of shuts down one of the inflammatory pathways in this whole process as well. Um, and it can kind of help you repair some of the tissue and it's ointment-based. Ointment-based means it's Vaseline-based uh, and Vaseline-based things kind of naturally mm. fills in uh, some of the cracks in your skin, uh, although it's kind of greasy and yep. some people don't like it. Yeah, And put like the ceramides. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. used many. Yeah,
0: exactly. And there was a very expensive ceramide-based uh, moisturizer as well. Uh, and I, I'm not sure if it's still uh you know, out there because a lot of people couldn't afford it. It was very expensive. And mm-hmm. uh, several studies show that it's actually no better than just Vaseline or anything. Really? Yeah. So it was expensive That's and theoretically it was better. Uh, maybe it was marginally better, but, you know, the, the consensus was that, you know, it's not that superior to justify such a, you know, huge increase in price yeah. for
1: patients. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then when, when people yeah, fail these things, you know we try to maximize some of the non-pharmacologic stuff. So uh, some people will recommend a bleach bath where you try to um, add a cap full of bleach to a bathtub full of water. And this is really to decontaminate the skin, just kind of reduce the bacterial load uh, for people and, and the fungal load. Uh, and, then, and then when you fail those or your eczema is still not responding, then we go to the systemic treatment. So your sister on yes. the methotrexate. No, yeah. that's um, that's one of the uh, medications that can be helpful in atopic dermatitis. I personally hate using it. It's got so many side effects. You've got to monitor well
1: she yeah. uses it constantly because her immune system is suppressed, right? So she's she's exactly. got COVID right now. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, so, it's, yeah, it's yeah I, and that's you know illustrates perfectly why I don't like it. You know it's it's not actually officially approved for eczema there are very you know poorly designed studies to uh support it's eczema we all know yeah, it yeah. works but it is kind of uh one of these you know all the older drugs are kind of dirty right they kind of like hit a lot of things and and as a result you get a lot of spin-off side effects so um you know one of the other older dirty drugs is uh something called cyclosporin uh which we also use for you know um Kidney transplant recipients to not reject their kidneys. Uh, but all of these things. That, uh, yeah. And, you, and you, you're saying, oh, because you kind of probably guess how they work, right? Suppresses your immune course.
1: system. Yeah. Yeah. And and
0: yeah. The other one that everyone likes is the vitamin P. It's, That's a joke within medicine. uh, Prednisone, you use prednisone for everything. Oh. <laughs> but I've
1: been on prednisone. Yeah.
0: yeah it suppresses everything. Yeah. My, 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 yeah.
1: It does. It does. But it also makes you look like you've blown up like a balloon in 10 days. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's one of the other
0: effects, the mineralocorticoid effects, which means, uh, you know, it has effects on uh, your, um, you know, your electrolytes and it makes you retain salts Mm -hmm. to to kind of blow up uh, even acutely. Um, You know, it's um, again, it's an, it's an old drug. Um, You know, not only does it affect every immune cell, it affects every cell in your body as you you know, your kidneys, your, you know, pituitary, yeah. your little bit of your adrenals. And, you know, so again, I don't like using this, but it's kind of a last resort kind of thing.
1: It depends on how severe it is. I, I was under but, a lot of stress at one point and I broke out from head to toe and I thought it, I was allergic to something because it's not my typical eczema the way it normally presents. And I went to my doctor and she's like, that's eczema. And I said, what? And I had it from like my neck all the way down to my lip. like, And it was all these little red bumps. Like it was so different than my typical scaly patchy eczema yeah and Said no and then she put me on prednisone and it was gone within a couple of days it worked right away
0: <laughs> yeah that's kind of the beauty of prednisone it works for so many things uh yeah. but like you know i'm one of the doctors and i sometimes get in you know a little bit of debates with my colleagues on twitter and whatnot but i try to advocate for not using prednisone unless you absolutely have to i try to maximize like topical yeah. stuff as much as possible uh because you yes. know um, there are literally lawyers out there who make their entire career going after the side effects of you and know, not just that, uh, because it actually does cause real harm sometimes and you can't really predict who gets the harm.
1: Of course, of course, yeah, no, a lot of uh, well, certain drugs have, especially when you're messing around with the immune system. Um, what else was I going to ask you? Uh, so... Oh, and some of those drugs, like the uh, corticosteroids and stuff that are used. um, I've heard of things like mania and psychosis. How often have you seen that happen?
0: Well, I I was wondering if you're going to ask me about that. That's a great question. Um, A lot, actually. Uh, So the risk, if you look at the numbers from studies, there's a big study out of uh, the UK. Um, and the author's name is McSweeney. They looked at the entire database in the UK of people who get prednisone. And they looked at it for asthma in this particular study, but they captured like everyone, like thousands and thousands of people who get it. And, you know, the risk I think they came up with was an odds ratio of about 1.4. So, you know, that's not a high odds ratio, but uh, you know, personally in my practice, I think it's just not captured as much. Uh, if Mm -hmm. someone already has a pre-existing psychiatric condition, I like definitely try not to use it or warn them about potential side effects. So the mood swings get quite large. Okay. So either, uh, super depressed or super anxious or super, you know, um, you know, super energetic. Um, it It, is is
1: actually quite a bit from all of my psychiatric studies that I've done. So,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I had, uh, Uh, You know, uh, a couple encounters over the years where, you know, uh, a doctor would give the prednisone and the patient would be uh, either, you know, formed in the psych unit or, you know, trying to commit suicide or something, uh, you know, catastrophic like this, which is quite, uh, you know, concerning. And, uh, you know, people kind of underestimate the uh, neuropsychiatric side effects for sure.
1: Yeah, no. There's some psychiatrists I've talked to that say that I often, when they get patients coming in on a whim from a level of psychosis or mania, that the first thing they check for is those medications. Oh, interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah. I um, guess psychiatrists are well in tune with. Or they
1: diagnose you with any sort of psych- <clears throat> psychiatric disorder. They'll look to make sure to see if you're on corticosteroids quirt- or not because oh. they can. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and it's interesting. Um, I think in all the cases that I've seen, patients having you know some kind of psychiatric crisis, and they were given prednisone. Uh, I think they, you know, had seen a physician or, or healthcare setting where it was kind of very high volume, high turnover. And I think, you know, they don't really consider how, because it's such a commonly used drug, you don't consider the potential yeah. ramifications, although sometimes they're quote unquote rare. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's interesting. I have another question. What is it about the itch and scratch cycle? Like, why does it tend to become more itchy at night? Like, I don't what like what is that what causes that because i remember like at nighttime i'd be going squirrely that's when yeah, like, so itch- and- i love
0: this question because a lot of doctors don't understand this either okay oh, most good. itchy question are uh, itchy rashes and itchy conditions are worse in the evening and nocturnally um and this is because there is a diurnal variation to the immune system so when you have any cold or infection at what time of the day do you always feel more feverish more crappy more rundown
1: Up at night when That's you're, relaxing, right. you're starting yeah. to be dry, or it's dissipating in your body. Yeah,
0: so there's more, uh, you know, those chemical messages your immune cells uh become really much more active, it's cranking out more stuff in the bone marrow. That's why you have to get these bone pains and chills at night as well when you're sick. Um, so in the itch scratch cycle, in particular, uh, the main key sort of chemical message or immune message is the cytokine called interleukin-31. And this cytokine uh, is really wrapped up more so at nighttime. Uh, and the other cytokines that kind of support this are also turned up much more at nighttime. So you get more itchy at nighttime.
1: Oh, I always wondered what caused that. That's interesting, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because it would be at night, which I'd be going, <laughs> and my poor sister too, It's crazy. Um, that's good, that's good to know. Um, can different types of food cause atopic dermatitis?
0: I love this question too. And I get asked this all the time, uh, you know, from patients, from other healthcare professionals and, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. So if you had spoken to, um, an allergist in the nineties, they probably would say yes. Uh, and that's because we didn't quite understand this process. We knew that food allergies was a common sort of what we call comorbidity in people with eczema, but we didn't, and, and, and some people legitimately believed that food allergies drove the eczema as well. Uh, so now, um, you know, if people have been reading since 2002, 2004 and up, um, this has been pretty much disproven though, okay? So certain foods will make you more itchy. Uh, so for example, saltier foods, Foods with uh, you know weak narcotic properties because narcotics make you itchy. Um, so a lot of foods we consume actually have a bit of narcotic agonist effects. Um, and but food allergies in themselves do not drive the atopic dermatitis. The same immune problem that leads to atopic dermatitis makes you much more prone to having food allergies. So it's part of this type two inflammatory, dysregulated, you know, sort of family of problems, the same immune defects yes. kind of cause more predisposition to both of these problems. But it's not that one is driving the other or the other one is driving the other. It just happens to be okay. the same kind of mistake in the immune system leads to uh, these kind of problems. So, you know, I mentioned a uh, couple of things can make you more itchy. Strawberries uh, have lectins that can make you more itchy. Um, you know, uh, really thermally hot food or spicy food can make you more itchy as well. The cells that contribute to a lot of the itching and the neurohormonal hormonal pathways uh, do respond to things like caspasin and uh, some of the uh, neuro- neural input is affected by things like this. So uh, many foods can cause more itchiness and the more you scratch, you kind of get worse eczema. So that's where this kind of idea came from, but it's not primarily a food allergy driving the eczema.
1: Interesting. In my case, it was just, I had lost a lot of weight and had really poor nutrition when I was 20. And then when I started to gain weight back, all of a sudden, magically, my immune system was like, nope. (laughs) So I wound up with eczema. I'd never had it before 21. And then I've never been able to get rid of it since.
0: Yeah. And and then, you know, maybe uh, some of the stress uh, affected sort of the functioning of your immune system. You know, we talked about this in our last season as well, Uh, Everything is trained, uh, linked, and it's it's really um interesting that you know, not a lot of the specialties of medicine we don't really talk to each other, but we know, uh, if you really pay attention, that some of the other conditions, like the psychiatric conditions, and a lot of my patients get really better. So, I had a patient, um, you know, who eczema went from severe to like now non existent, and it's telling me. Her, her mind and thinking has never been clearer. And it's it's kind of interesting how that works.
1: That's yeah. Amazing. Again, yeah, it's really, we talked about that last time, the chicken and the egg question, right? Which comes first? Oh. It's mental health that's causing the secondary inflammation, or is it the... You know, the severe symptoms of something like eczema, which is absolutely maddening because, yeah, and it's, I, and it's like, bad. yeah, there
0: are many things contributing to one another. Yeah, but maybe, uh, it probably is the same immunologic basis. Uh, so since last season, I spoke to a friend at a, at a picnic actually, who happened to be a psychiatrist in, in my area, and uh, we were talking about some of these ideas. This is what doctors do, we always talk about, you know, kind of uh, you know our, our fields, and yeah, the the shifting, uh, and there was a landmark paper that came out recently about even depression and how it's not like a serotonin thing. Uh, The the models are really shifting to neuroinflammatory. And I think that probably is actually the truth.
1: It's huge. Neuroinflammatory is massive. I'm just reading all about that right now. It's fascinating. Um, Children, like what, how does it present differently in children than adults? I mean... Like I said, I don't get it in the creases and I often see kids with this, but my daughter, she doesn't get it much in her creases. She just overall has really, really dry skin and patches and her hands are peeling all the time. So in children, how does it present differently?
0: Yeah. So it's not always like quote unquote classic textbook pattern. Uh, So infants have a different, uh, you know, areas that they tend to get it worse uh, as opposed to older children. But, you know, the areas um, that are involved are not always like, you know, the classic textbook pattern. So it can really occur anywhere. The classic textbook pattern helps doctors kind of identify it, uh, but it really can be in higher use areas or, you know, if there's a concomitant contact uh, dermatitis, or let's say they're reacting to things like sunscreen, uh, you might get it more in there. So the presentation, um, you know, the flexural creases I mentioned, the face around the eyes, around the lips, uh, around the neck, you know, again, that may differ from individual to individual. And, and, and really it's, the, it's more of like a constellation and, you know, most of the time, I think most dermatologists and allergists, when we see dermatitis we're like 99% sure it is, but even, even amongst the experts, sometimes we have to biopsy too, because, uh, other things can kind of mimic eczema as well.
1: Right. Well, you look at these poor babies being born and they're brand new babies, like they're infants. And mm-hmm. for, you know, most of them, most of them are breastfed. So you're thinking like, what's causing this must be like the, the genetic component, component. Yeah. Some people
0: are, are, are born with, uh, you know, um, barrier defects, or uh, the other thing I talked about, like the SPINK uh, problem, it's more rare, but right. uh, yeah, some people can be uh, literally born with uh, a barrier defect. Like wow. you know, the other wow. mutation we talk about a lot is something called filaggrin. Uh, again, it's all part of this sort of barrier uh, cascade. Uh, but you know, the, these mutations don't explain like most of eczema. They actually only explain if you even combine all the known ones together, like less than 15% of all uh, atopic terms So it's really hard to know, like, you know, uh, how many genes and what combination of genes and epigenetics kind of contributes to all this.
1: Well, this is what makes, I would say, your field so, like, fascinating and ongoing, just because there's so many contributing factors. It's not really one or two things. It's like a multitude of things between environment and biology and genes. Yeah, yeah. But- it-
0: yeah, it's really cool. Uh, there's always new. So you know, the thing that really excites me, uh, Brie, is like there was like almost nothing mm-hmm. being done in my field. Uh, so unfortunately, if you work in a, a in a medical field where people don't generally die, okay, which is kind of the sad truth, there isn't like a whole lot of resources poured into studying everything. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, the you know, if you compare it to something like heart disease or stroke, like you know, they get like hundreds of more times like research funding to study what's going on when you look at like non-life threatening or what we call nuisance conditions they don't get as much funding or attention Um, Mm -hmm. but in the last 10 years and now especially in the last five years there's been like an explosion of breakthroughs in understanding this field and you know what results from that is an explosion of new therapies too coming out to treat uh, you know Mm -hmm. uh, atopic dermatitis in ways that are not so toxic as like the older treatments
1: hmm So are you seeing, like we just talked about, you just barely br- briefly touched on that, but are you seeing more medications, more non, you know, like having to go to the immune suppressing treatments? Like, are there more stuff coming down the pipe to treat? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the first big therapeutic breakthrough, uh, other than the topicals that we mentioned was the tacrolimus, uh, where it was a biologic medication called uh, dupilumab. And, you know, this works by blocking uh, the cytokine into leukin-4 and 13, and then indirectly blocks a lot of other things in this machinery and cascade to kind of really rebalance the immune system. So this was like a huge breakthrough because you had previously very severe um, atopic derm patients looking like pretty much like a burn victim going to near normal skin. And, you know, these are patients who never wanted to go outside or leave their home and now actually able to, um, you know, wow. become Instagram stars or what have you, right? Um, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, you've got this, um, you know, so that was the only sort of new breakthrough for a long time. But now over the last two, three years, we've had other breakthroughs too. So we've had a new oral therapy something called uh, jack kinase inhibitors, and there's a lot of them coming out. Uh, And all of these JAK inhibitors, not only are they much cheaper than a biologic, but they also affect different targeted parts of the immune system. So you don't get the crazy side effects of like prednisone or cyclosporine or methotrexate. You can more have a focused uh, balance of the immune system.
1: Interesting. And so uh, uh, like what cost-wise, like on the market, like how does that, what does that look like for patients?
0: So most biologics are quite expensive. They're in like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, you know, and, and thankfully in Canada they're about uh, a, a, quite a bit more cheaper than the, what they what the Americans or the U.S. people pay, um, and the jack kinase inhibitors are about half the price of you know the biologic medications and you know, because there's so much now new comp, there's different JAK kinase inhibitors that have shown good, uh, you know, effectiveness in a topic there. Uh, you know, more competition means that the price in general gets driven down as well. Um, so it, it's kind of good, you know, we're going to get multiple JAK inhibitors now. Um, you know, Pfizer has one, uh, AbbVie, this company called AbbVie has one. Uh, everyone's kind of coming up with their own JAK kinase inhibitor. Other biologics are also coming out now too. Uh, so, there's one that only targets uh, interleukin 13, for example, not 4 and 13, which seems to do an okay job treating atopic derm. So, a lot of these therapies are, you know, I think uh, really good because you know, there's, you know, uh, uh, you know, more choice and always ultimately yeah. it's the patients. Yeah.
1: Right. And these are oral that you were just talking about.
0: Yeah. So, th- there's two biologics, and in Canada, there's, uh, you know, three oral uh, treatments now.
1: Nice. Okay. Now, what about gut health and atopic dermatitis? What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. So I think it's all tied uh, because the barrier doesn't only affect the skin. Um, there's the right. uh, whole uh, the barrier problems that lead to skin problems tend to cause sometimes gut problems as well. And mm-hmm. you know, different um, probiotic sort of milieus, and there's there's a couple of them um, that I think can really lead you to have a healthier regulation of the immune system in general. Um, but again, I think um, at all our conferences, there's always a session on this uh, and the latest research on sort of the microbiome and what microbiomes can kind of lead to less atopic dermatitis or, or none in the population. Um, you know, it's it's hard to kind of regulate this process though, um, unless you start from a very early age, right? And we talked in last season about, you know, the vaginal flora from a from a natural uh, vaginal
1: yeah.
0: birth uh, versus C-section, and people born, mm. uh, you know, vaginally tend to have less atopic condition in general. So I think uh, all of this stuff uh, really plays a role, and uh, you know, it's uh, kind of a part of the many, one of the parts of the many complicated things that affect things
1: of the jigsaw puzzle and trying to figure it out.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very complicated. Yeah. It, plot, well, yeah, right? no. yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Well, yeah. Microbiome, like, yeah, the probiotics and then even a digestive enzyme. So if you had patients come to you that were not willing to go on, say some of the more, you know, medications that you're not, you don't like to promote unless you absolutely have to, um, a natural regime for them to follow. What would you recommend them do for like their daily routine in a way? Like, what can you recommend in addition to using some stuff that's not nearly as severe?
0: So I think um, you know the, by the time they see me. Uh, so I, I work as kind of like a sub sub specialist. Uh, I tend to see more like the very severe cases. Um, I was going to
1: say yeah.
0: Yeah. So you know I do see like the sort of run of the mill um, atopic term too. So I've got like a little handout on different kind of moisturizers and things to avoid and you know how to prevent yourself from scratching. So I always start with that the non pharmacologic stuff because you'd be surprised sometimes. I get consults for people who've done none of the basics, right? you know, uh, still using body wash, for example, or rubbing or exfoliating their skin, which is not good for, for people with uh, atopic derm. Um, and then, yeah, I have a very stepwise approach. So if that doesn't work, then we'll try like a prescription moisturizer uh, and so on and so forth and kind of go up on the treatment ladder. Uh, but, but most of the time I do see more of the severe patients. Yeah, oh,
1: okay, gotcha. I just was curious if there was another possible natural remedies that you would we tell people to follow?
0: Um, so uh, it's a bit controversial, um, but, you know, sun and phototherapy is sometimes used for atopic dermatitis. Uh, and sometimes there's some evidence for sun exposure being good, like anti-inflammatory uh, in atopic dermatitis. But obviously you have to balance this out with uh, skin cancer risk um, because people with atopic dermatitis are actually at increased risk for skin cancer too, which a lot of people don't know. And a lot of, yeah, a lot of um, anytime you have a more, repair and more cell division occurring, there's always more risk for skin cancer. So, you know, paradoxically, you do also improve in your atopic dermatitis with UV therapy and sun exposure. So it's a bit of a fine balancing game. And that's why I don't love, uh, you know, advising this. Um, with respect to um, things like probiotics, you know, there's there's research for and against, and, you know, our professional societies kind of have looked at uh, questions like this, and they feel right now it's hard for, um, you know, like uh, people in our special to fully in- endorse any sort of probiotics in particular because their research isn't really strong one way or another and they're sometimes confounding. So we do these things called meta-analysis where we pool all the studies and it's kind of hard to pool all the results when their methods are not always similar either uh, and looking at to see if things improve. You know, one of the um, really you know, uh, surprising results that came out a couple of years ago, I was actually in Milan at the World Congress of Dermatology uh, learning about this, is that um, we looked at whether early sort of aggressive moisturization of infants in, you know, people with family histories of, uh, you know, atopic dermatitis would prevent atopic dermatitis or prevent complications. And surprisingly, not only did it not prevent but it actually made things a little bit worse um so yes are you are you trapping or are you encouraging the growth of some you know different things that don't normally grow on your skin or you know what's actually happening or is it healthy for you know the skin to kind of see some of the commensal uh you know you know flora and fauna uh that you know normally lives there so it's hard to know like um you know, so that was very surprising and you, you can, you know, hear the collective disappointment of every sort of moisturizer manufacturer that sponsored this stuff. Yeah,
1: what? <laughs> we make it worse?
0: Yeah. So you, you know, so there were there was um you know, that really was a surprising result even for me. I was really, I thought it would make things better. Of course, I would intuitively think that. You're kind of helping the barrier along. Uh, but again, you know, that just goes to show you why, um, you know, well-designed clinical trials are very important to kind of definitively yeah. some of these difficult questions. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah. Um, I think in general, vitamin D is, uh, is a good anti-inflammatory, uh, especially if you live in a Northern climate like Canada, uh, where there's not that many exposure to sun in the winter. Um, yeah. So I think all of those things can kind of play a role, but you know you should be doing those things anyways. And I would expect their pediatrician or you know uh, people to be just kind of on top of that on their own anyways.
1: Of course, no, that makes sense. Yeah, no, mine seems to get much better in the summer, and then the winter just dries out your skin even more, so it creates more of a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and you know, if you live in a an apartment building or a condominium in in Canada, uh, at least in Ontario, like the forced air sort of heating really saps out moisture from the air. Uh, so if you ever do check with a hygrometer, which checks the sort of the relative humidity level, it actually is really low, like desert level low. So uh, it really does sap mm-hmm. out the moisture.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's terrible. Um, I think we mentioned in the last series that uh, coconut oil is not recommended for people who have atopic dermatitis. It actually increases the inflammation in the skin and I can't use it. It makes it awful. It's Yeah, terrible. so... so-
0: Thing with a lot of these remedies is most people get away with them but there's a subset of people who it will kind of make things worse and you know um things like coconut oil sometimes can make things worse especially it's it's kind of like uh, got a lot of stuff that certain bacteria love to eat and munch on too so it can kind of promote pathogenic things from growing on your skin um and it's kind of like you know this um trend to uh where i see th- i see this in general with skincare products like everyone in their you know, um, and their dog or best friend thinks they can make skincare products these days. And, you know, they don't really
1: <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> have knowledge of
0: like what to put in and what not to put in. Uh, so, you know, and then people assume that if it's all natural, that you can't react to it, but yeah, you know, coconut oil is an example. But uh you know, a lot of people put like uh other different plant essences in, and all of these things can really irritate this, uh, the plants. Like plants are, uh, they don't like it when you know animals that typically eat them, a lot of them, and you know, mixing it with different skincare routines can actually really irritate your skin.
1: Yeah, no, I can't do coconut oil. It makes it a lot worse. You, hobo oil seems to be a little bit better, but. I don't know, just your regular old, not galaxyl base. What's the other one called? Uh base uh, is a good one. Accurate.
0: Yeah. Uh I like to uh, you know, sometimes just regular petroleum jelly it works, but it's kind of greasy. People don't like it. Uh Avino is kind of uh, you know, my personal favorite because a lot of people can tolerate Aveno. You know, and again, even with Avenos, uh, there's a small subset of people who will not react well to it. But avino um, has, uh, you know, the, the thing called avanthracimide, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, which has a little bit of an anti-itch property. Uh, so if you're itchy and you're trying to break that, that might be a, a good one as well. Um, you know, again, there's different ceramide, like CeraVe has a ceramide-based moisturizer. Again, these things kind of increase cost, but uh, are they like that much better? you know, it's kind of debatable.
1: Yeah. And what is the long-term side effects for using like a cortisone cream, like a steroid cream on your skin? Cause I mean, those are the only things when it got bad enough that really worked. I was never yeah. put on. Any and that,
0: A lot of people of see that as the, as the sort of the good first line treatment, uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of our like algorithms and sort of our treatment decision trees. Um, you know, if you, uh, you know, look at decision trees and treatment guidelines, they often start with topical steroids, like the first drug therapy. Um, so, so there's a couple of drawbacks to this, okay? Um, if I were to tell you, Brie, that you, the old treatment for atopic dermatitis was actually rubbing tar on you, would you believe me?
1: Probably, because I believe everything you say,
0: because you're good. Yeah, so tar, <laughs> tar is like, uh, you know, pretty potent, right? It, it shuts down your yeah. immune system. <laughs> so- um, There you go. <laughs> But, uh, you know, so people used to lather on, uh, on tar to try to treat this. But I kind of think in 10 years, people will look at topical steroids like the way we look at tar. It sounds ridiculous uh, because you know topical steroids, they, you know, just like they're causing the systemic or oral steroids, um, they do affect every cell, right? Um, so it, it doesn't just target those cells that you want to shut off. It shuts off everything. The other thing with topical steroids is um, they all have a slight, vasoconstrictor effects and what, the, what I mean by that is they they shrink down and clamp down on blood vessels so mm-hmm. um, this is kind of why you don't want to use them on certain parts of your body especially the high potency ones because they won't really clamp down on the blood vessels um, mm-hmm. it's, it's fascinating how they even uh, study this uh, so they all top of, and the potency of the steroid is based on the ability of that steroid to actually constrict blood vessels, not on how strong, like this is how they determine how strong a steroid actually is.
1: Oh, Uh, interesting. Yeah,
0: and they actually tested on, uh, you know, poor bunny ears to see if, you know, how much of the steroid is required to essentially kill off that part of the bunny ear. Uh, So that's how they determine, yeah, if you close off the blood vessel, that part of the tissue will die. So in any event, that's the extreme example, but every time you use topical steroids, especially for a prolonged period of time, uh, the vasoconstriction will actually thin the skin. So paradoxically, even though acutely you're getting better, over the long term, you may be actually setting yourself up for thinner skin and you know, being more prone to contact dermatitis and other things that can breach your uh, you know, skin barrier.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I, well, I know my, mine in particular is very immune related. I don't have any food allergies like zero and I don't have asthma. Um, but I can't use any fragrance. I can't use any, like anything that's highly fragrance. Like my, it'll my skin like moisturizers and stuff. Like it has to be zero fragrance.
0: Yeah, and, and that's what I recommend for uh, most people with atopic dermatitis, avoid mm-hmm. uh, fragrance-free stuff. So there's a couple of fragrances too, but uh, if you actually go to a clinic called the Patch Test Clinic where they test you for every chemical, they have different sort of fragrances, like, you know, of Peru and other things that they have, like, you know, their unique proprietary names. So you can figure out exactly which fragrance you react to. But generally, I recommend not using any fragrances because it can influence things.
1: Yeah, no, it makes it worse. And there was, I used a skincare line one time on my face that was full of chemicals and I wound up with eczema on my eyelids and like, which I've never had before. Like I reacted very badly to it. So, yeah. yeah. And it's That's... it's
0: funny. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we're talking about like cost uh, and, and cost, I think is a very relevant issue. Uh, but if, if there was no cost in the equation, I think some of these newer treatments would be kind of the first line treatments for a lot of people in even in moderate and uh, severe range, because, you know, I think we can uh, really bring your skin to complete normal uh, appearance. And, and, and unfortunately, we live in a kind of a superficial society where you know skin tone and things like that look uh, are, are very important for a lot of people. Right. so.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah no we do unfortunately it's terrible that we live in such a superficial society but from somebody that has it aside from that it's so uncomfortable like Mm -hmm. that like that scratch and itch like it's just
0: and I love um, how you bring this up because um and you mentioned it's worse at night so a lot of patients uh actually can't sleep um when they have uh you know eczema and um you know when you're no one's their best self when they don't sleep well, and the next day trying to function with poor sleep or quality of sleep, um, it really is hard to um, you know do daily tasks. And you know we talked about uh, psychiatric things; all psychiatric conditions kind of get worse with uh, sleep deprivation. So, uh, oh it's, my goodness, the goodness. Cycle. yes, and then yeah. you know, the less sleep you have, the less uh, able you are to inhibit some of your impulses to scratch and do other kind of, you know, impulsive things. So it's kind of like a bad, you know, snowball effect. It's
1: um, the worst, And I can only imagine you're just more stressed out. So therefore your cortisol levels are higher, your adrenaline level, and that's just going to increase the problem itself. Like it's just a vicious cycle.
0: It is a very vicious cycle and it really is hard to break. And, uh, you know, I guess before these new treatments came out, Uh, This is why we had to use things like, you know, prednisone or methotrexate or, yeah, Yeah, literal, you know, chemotherapy at times to just try to control things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's really nice to hear that they're finding, you guys are finding more alternatives um, that we're leaning to, and hopefully eventually they'll become more cost-effective to the average person who does have the severe atopic dermatitis. It's uh, yeah. And it does present very differently in different people as I can see it within my own family. So
0: yeah, it's a really exciting time. I think in the next five years, we're going to have like a new treatment out every single year now. And it's it's like we're really unlocking some of these science and how to go about uh, best treating this. it's really cool.
1: Well, I find it very interesting because the immune system is behind everything and the, the body's just all connected, right? Brain, yeah, gut, really everything. Cool. But the immune system is your like, I don't know how as as an immunologist, how you would actually... Refer to that, or put that in sort of layman's terms. But what would you call the immune system of the body? Like, what would you? What would uh, you refer- well,
0: well, it's it's sort of the you know it is the immune system of the body. It kind of regulates and keeps you functioning, and uh, you know it's it's the part of the body I think that can really you know um, explain. Pretty much every condition and
1: every disease that you exactly have. everything that's what yeah. i mean like you yeah. can, literally i find yeah. it fascinating that there hasn't been that much research or that much money poured into more studies for what you yeah. work in on yes. the fact that it's the immune system, which is the most important function of the body. Yeah. Well it's, it's the really whole
0: siloed approach to, to medicine in general, but you know, I can't really uh, change that as an individual. Body.
1: No, no, but it's just fascinating to me as we learn, right? We're learning more and more and more. And there's so much more data and there's more research, but I just and the immune system is just so complex. It is yeah. so complex. It's like talking to, you know, it's like an endocrinologist, the same thing. Hormones are so complex. It's such a absolutely um, And and no
0: one person can know everything. So it's really,
1: really hard. So the beauty of what you do and medicine in general is it's always evolving and changing and you're always learning new things, right? The human body is pretty amazing. Well, that's fascinating, Jason. I think that that was very informative for people with such a common issue as atopic dermatitis. It's a huge problem.
0: Absolutely. A very common problem. You know, it, it really does affect uh quite a large number of people um and you know it's a condition that waxes away. and wanes so it gets better it goes away kind of comes back uh and so on and so forth so you know uh everyone knows someone with uh, eczema
1: Exactly have you ever actually had a patient before we go cuz I know you got to wrap up here but have you ever had a patient that's actually their symptoms have cleared up with like no necessarily any medical intervention just kind of just disappeared
0: Yeah so uh you know a lot of people can um Basically, have minimally, you know, what we call minimal disease or no disease, um, if they really just, you know, pay attention to some of the non-pharmacologic stuff. So these are people, obviously, you know, mild disease to begin with. Uh, but usually, people on the severe end will kind of have these flares periodically, and and even in the moderate, you'll have, you know, a few flares here and there. Uh, and you know, it, it really is exposure to things can just really tip you off. So, you know, things that can really ch- cause flares or things like, you know, uh, stress levels uh, can be uh, dysbiosis, we call it like, like, you know, your skin flora or skin bacteria and, and, uh, and fungus can change for whatever reason. Um, other people, you know, um, have you know, chemical exposures that, you know, they, they travel, for example, use the hotel towel uh, and they may, you know, the hotels tend to use really strong enzymatically active, um, you know, detergents and that can really flare up the eczema. So, you know, a lot of these things can really cause these flares, but um, some people, they are able to manage and have no disease or very minimal disease with just doing some of the right things like not using soap on their skin and using, you know, other forms of cleanses that don't sap out moisture.
1: Mm, okay. And one more before we go here, psoriasis, what's the difference between that and the eczema?
0: Yeah. So psoriasis is uh, what we refer to as a type one inflammatory dysregulated problem. So, oh. you know, atopic dermatitis is a type two condition uh, or type two inflammatory condition, but psoriasis is a type one condition. So, you know, it's, um, the part of the immune system that's engaged uh, involves other uh, dysregulation of other chemical uh, messages. Uh, so mm-hmm. for example, uh, something called tumor necrosis factor, uh, interferon, those tend to be upregulated in these patients. And the type of T cell um, that's driving all of this stuff is usually the Th1 and ILC1, or the, ILC is not a T cell, but it's the cells that produce Th1-like cytokines, so Th1 and um ILC1, whereas type two inflammatory condition of atopic dermatitis is Th2 and Mm -hmm. ILC2-driven chemical signals. So it's a different type of inflammation. It looks different too clinically. So uh, psoriasis, yeah yeah can often you know for for the trained eye like a dermatologist or allergist who sees a lot of this stuff we we can tell like you know what what the difference is uh but you know very rarely like one in a hundred you do need to bounce it because sometimes it's not clear or on a part of the body that's uh, you know it's hard to know unless you look with the microscope
1: right wow because i know i've had a lot of people say well what, what what really is the difference isn't it all sort of the same thing but yeah, no. there's many
0: different forms of psoriasis too. So I never pretend mm-hmm. to be a dermatologist. I don't treat a lot of psoriasis, but you know, there's different forms like plaque psoriasis, and stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I have a friend who has psoriatic arthritis, and yeah. he has psoriasis because he's got the arthritis as well. And I think he was on methotrexate actually for quite a long time.
0: Yeah, that's a great question though, because it brings the whole issue of uh, you know type one inflammatory conditions versus type two inflammatory conditions. So
1: exactly different,
0: different T cells, different mediators different chemical signals that are elevated or dysregulated.
1: Interesting. Well, that's fantastic. That's fascinating. Very good.
0: Cool. Amazing questions again, Brie. Yeah. Thank you
1: for joining me. No problem. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Jason. It's always a pleasure.